Uh, so I have no feedback for you today. Well, I have I have a little bit of feedback follow up. Feed- I have a bit of follow up, not necessarily feedback, because it's not really based on anything that anybody has asked. Well, maybe Caleb asked. So I thought I'd give a little bit of feedback on how I've gone with the comic app that I mentioned in the yeah, first episode. Yeah, good. I've been I've been wondering that myself. Uh, so there's a few things about it. Um, Are we allowed to know any more about it yet, or does it still remain a mystery? It's still, it's still a mystery. So I'm just still. That's why I'm still calling it the comic app. Can you right. sporadically leave clues throughout this conversation? I think I've given all the clues that I possibly could. Is that it on your iPad over there? I do have it on my iPad over here, yes. Okay. I won't, um, I won't give anything away. Could we sporadically leave clues? <laughs> you, you could try. Uh, so, one of the things that I, uh, I did was um, I sat down and my plan was to do it over the course of a weekend. Um, that didn't happen. I get too tired. You so, were, were going to do, do, do an app. app in one weekend? I was going to try at least get the bare bones of it up. Nice. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, I got so far as I can, my, the app now pulls from the, uh, the database on the server and populates a core data database, core data database, I don't know, yeah. core data store yep. uh, with, with the, some of the items so far. So, I've got, at the moment, I've got cast and I've got, because um, the comics are divided into books. So, there's book one, book two, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which are divided into chapters, which are then divided into actual strips. Okay, that's a that's a clue. Yeah, I guess guess, guess it is kind of a clue. Book, uh, book-based comics, gotcha. Uh, so that's as far as like that's as far as I've gotten with the actual like actual app itself. But I did go through a process of actually setting everything up. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I did was I looked at things like that we talked about last week, like CocoaPods mm-hmm. uh, and AF networking, which was mentioned I think last week. Uh, and I've set those up and I'm using those and they're really cool. I really like them. Um, Interestingly, since we last spoke, I've done the same. Started a new project uh, using CocoaPods, AF networking, Nimbus again. Um, I haven't used Nimbus yet because I don't, I'm not 100% sure that I've got anything that I can use it for at this stage. Yeah. So the one use I've made of it in this new app is the Nimbus networked image view. Which is just a UI image view subclass that you can give it a URL for the ah. image and it will display it. You can give it a temporary image to display whilst it's downloading and then you give it the URL to an image on the web and it will take responsibility of downloading it using AF networking, caching it in a disk-based cache and a memory-based cache and then displaying it in the image view once it's been downloaded. And now I have a reason to use it because I need that for my comic app because it turns out... Picture-based. <laughs> I'm going to move on from Nimbus at some point. This is not just going to be a How Awesome Is Nimbus podcast. Do, do we need to disclose that Jake is affiliated with Nimbus? <laughs> <I'm Is not. laughs> uh, I may have contributed. I contributed a, a line of code uh, to the- um, Please note, Jake contributed to Nimbus one line of code. Yep. So, therefore, he's affiliated with Nimbus. Clearly. <laughs> I have a vested interest in everyone using my line of code. Indeed. Um, so, one of the other things that I looked at was storyboards, and I'm still not even sold on those. We spent- You guys spent all of last episode mm. essentially trying to convince mm. me of how good they were. We're clearly going to need to talk more. Well, so he- here's the thing. I-, I-, I don't know whether it's whether or not it's the fact that I'm coming out of doing everything programmatically, and so I feel a little bit out of water, or whether it's the fact that I don't think that 
it's going to actually work for the project in general because eventually everything's going to get out of hand. Yep. I'm probably going to hand it over to somebody, so there's going to be multiple people dealing with it. Mm. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I've I, so far, all I'm using it for is to set up the, the main view, which is the- So, I've got it in front of me for people that aren't- can't see this, but I'm- I've got tabs. Those three tabs are stor- storyboarded. Yeah. That's it. And, and that's as far as I plan on going with it, with storyboards. It's a good start. We've got to start somewhere. <laughs> so, and I, I may or may not leave it like that. I'm- uh, may replace it with programmatic code later. Hmm. I'm, I am a little concerned that at some stage it's going to be too hefty to use with Git, um, which is kind of important because hmm. it's you know somebody else is going to take over the over the repository eventually. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear how your thoughts on storyboards evolve. I will. I will continue bringing it up. Fight with them more and. Um, I will continue bringing it up. One of the things that I am going to touch on uh, right now before we get into any real topics is um, uh, I have two versions of the app. I can see that. They look almost identical. One has a little uh, yellow stripey tape on it. Well, this is on its icon for people on its icon. looking at Charlie's so, iPad. Uh, so... This is this is something that I set up um, so that when I build a, a, a like a debug build or a, a beta a beta build, it actually sits alongside the the existing app. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, so I don't have the existing app at the moment. So the the uh, the the release build is actually just a previous version of the uh, of the app without any actual any real code in it, but. The way that I set this up, so which is probably more interesting to everybody that is listening, Caleb was asking about it, is that uh, I went into, so in, you can go into and and set um, build settings for for the app itself on the project, mm-hmm. um, and in the build settings you would normally set things like uh, your like the what's it called the uh, provisioning. Um, Certificates and stuff. Signing, yeah, all the all the bit, all the different bits and pieces, and you set you know flags and stuff. So one of the things you can actually do in there is actually add a custom build setting. Uh, so what I did was I added a custom build setting called uh, custom identifier or something like that, and then you can re- reference that in your plist file. And you've seen that happen before because things when you first set up a project, it will have that in the in the yeah. plist file already yeah. so it has like it'll because it asks for your company identifier uh so i you know mine is com dot jelly style dot and then it'll have like a a dollar sign and curly braces and then whatever the variable is in there and then you just put same same idea you put that with your custom identifier in there so mine was custom identifier custom underscore identifier so i just created a new bit Added the dollar sign and the thing just went. So it now reads com dot style dot whatever the existing one is app name or something like that, and then uh, and then custom identifier. Cool. And so what that does is I can then go into the build settings and set that so that it's got a different uh, value for each each configuration. So debug ad hoc uh, release and with that set to I you know I just set you know debug. Uh, on the debug one, leave the release one uh, blank, and so it builds separately. 
Um, and all it does is it builds separately. So you don't get it, you don't get the change of icon or anything like that in there uh, with just setting it up that way. But because of that, because that's, you know, that how that system now works, you can do like create another custom build setting for your icon or for your display uh, name. for the name that is displayed. And so you can, so from, in my instance, I created another set of icons, which all are basically named the same, but they have .dev before the extension. Yeah. And so all it does is it looks for, uh, it, the .dev is set into, in, my, in a custom build setting. And that is brought into, into the plist by the, uh, yeah, by the little variable. Yeah. And that's how I did it. So if you've ever looked at the, uh, the bundle for the Twitter app, you know, there's these, software you can get to look inside a bundle and see the pictures and yep. the plists and stuff like that. They have a separate set of icons and they're all um, affixed with a dash dog food. All right. So okay. these Twitter designers are walking around with their own icons. Oh, so they're, they're, are they dog fooding the app? Is that what it's called? Where they're using it themselves I prior think- to release? Is that the idea? Yeah, but I think they're not dog fooding because they're actually using separate icons. All right. There you go. They got their own versions. They got their own. Pre- they, is it pretty? Is icons. it good looking, or is it like a, they got the icons they like? So they've got good looking icons, and us schlubs are left with the with the glossy, blue. awesome. There you go. Awesome. I'm going to do that straight away for the projects I'm working on because something I always do is yeah, I build and run the app on my device all the time during development, and then I get to a point where I want to give it to clients or beta testers for review, and I'll do a sort of ad hoc build that I then distribute via something like Hockey App. Um, and it's always a pain because I've already got a build of the app running on my device and I need to make sure I delete the build that's on my device so that I can install the ad hoc one from Hockey App in the way that my beta testers or clients would to make sure, you know, it's working properly. So mm-hmm. the idea of having I should have separate, I should just have a separate bundle identifier for my development version and the ad hoc builds. No, yeah, I have them both installed side by side, so I could have the same version that my beta testers are testing on my device running. So if someone reports a bug, I could reproduce it. Exactly, while still having my latest development version sitting alongside it. And I'm considering having it for uh, for progressions as well, um, because that's it's a fairly insignificant addition to the uh, to the code base. Like it doesn't take very long to Im- implement. Just you know, building to a separate version uh, it takes a little bit longer if you want to create icons and that sort of thing. Um, but what it allowed me to do is because I'm constantly building new versions of the, of the app, if I want to, if I get a, like a, um, a support request from somebody who's using the, uh, the version that's out there already, I have, like, I have to build, like, I've downloaded it from the store yeah. again, uh, or roll back my code to that, to that point, uh, in Git so that I can, so I can try and replicate it on the mm. device. Uh, which isn't isn't very helpful at all because you know, it means that I've it's a it's a whole other step. Whereas this means that I can have it just sitting there on the device all the time. Uh, very easy to get get it out and 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 check check problems uh, that come through. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. So, uh, and you can compare because it doesn't take you you know five ten minutes to to you know mm. change over to a different version. Uh, so you can tell whether or not you've you've fixed a bug already. Uh, that you know that they've uh, that they've um told you about yeah. hmm. so hopefully hopefully you guys will find that useful okay. i certainly certainly like it it was a nice little addition to my code base and i'll i'll keep you update up guys updated with uh 
with how this project progresses. Uh, so comic, that, the comic that's, app. that's what you're doing tonight, right? You're going to finish it? Uh, is that next there, w- there will be some time spent over this weekend. I probably won't finish it completely. Um, I do have... I'm taking a week off from client work very shortly so I can uh, catch up on a few projects and this is one of those. So, I'll be dropping all my clients for, for a week and uh, and just working on, on this, which will be nice. Yeah. It's been a while since I've given any real, you know, uh, good periods of time to an app that I'm working on. It's so. nice to be able to, like, really dedicate time to stuff. And I've really enjoyed lately starting new things. Um, it's, I find it, it's amazing how much... I learn each time I start a project fresh um, because I, you know, able to use te- techniques and libraries and things that I've pre- used in previous projects, but kind of use them from the start and then try out something new. Um, yeah, so something else I tried out in the fortnight just been is uh, collection views and doing custom collection view layouts. You wrote an article about it. I did. We'll I did. Put, we'll put it in the show notes. That sounds good. We, we the, I, I uh, retweeted the article on the uh, oh, mobile go. couch Twitter account. Underscore, so, underscore mobile couch. So you can find it on the web in various ways. But yeah, yep. I won't go too far into it right now. I don't know if we want to spend too much time discussing collection views, but it was just an interesting, like it's great to have new projects where you're targeting iOS 6 and you can try out the latest APIs. And um, yep. collection views are pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes. And, uh, if you follow Mobile Couch on Twitter, then you can also find it linked there. Otherwise, I guess we can move on to, uh, real topics. Yeah. More current topics. Not, Definitely. not really current topics, but, you know, topics. Well, actually, we- I have got a, a current newsworthy topic at the oh, moment. Really? Um, it's just a quick one if you guys are happy to discuss it. I'm always happy to discuss it. Um, so I don't know if you read during the fortnight just gone or maybe even prior. Um, some stuff about advertising, tracking, and cookies, and app projections. Yeah. So, apparently, if I remember correctly, uh, Apple is supposedly now rejecting apps based on their third-party cookie usage. So, if they are using third-party cookies to track Right. So, that, that was the story. Uh, I think it was originally on TechCrunch and then picked up by other websites like Apple Insider and things like that, that um, there were some reports that developers' apps were being rejected because they were using a technique of using cookies to track people's usage of the apps. Um, I think it's more complex than that because there was a follow-up post on uh, GigaOM. Is it called GigaOM? Yeah, on the GigaOM website uh, where According to sources within the app review uh, team, that's not the reason those apps were rejected. They were rejected because of user interface issues, which were somewhat related to these cookies. So I think it's probably worth just quickly covering kind of the whole, what this is all about. Um, basically, see, now I might get you guys to explain some of this stuff to me a little bit more because I haven't actually ever worked on apps uh that use advertising or display ads or used ad, purchased ads myself to get people to use my apps, for example. I think that's one for Caleb. Caleb's, Caleb's the one that does uh, apps. I do have like one that. with ads, but I, I don't. So, I, so my understanding of what this issue is about is that um, it's about wanting to keep to figure out uh, how successful ads you've purchased in other mobile apps are in directing people to your app. So you're trying to track users across 
different apps. But yeah, across not different apps that aren't a single app. Yeah, and not with not necessarily the same apps published by a single software publisher. But you might purchase a display, an ad in Angry Birds, and you want to know how effective that ad purchase was in getting people to download your app and launch it and run it. Um, and so I think that prior to um, Apple's decision to deprecate the unique device identifier, people used UDIDs as a way of tracking this stuff, um, that when the ad was displayed in an app, it would send the UDID of the person who was viewing it to a server, uh, an ad server, and when you launch it, an app that was freshly installed, your app that was freshly installed, it could check with the server to see um, if it had, if it was being installed on a device that had previously seen an ad for that. Right. Right. So, um, but then Apple deprecated the UDID for those purposes and said, "Don't, don't use the UDID anymore." So people have had to come up with a a way around that about how do you identify uh, if someone's installed your app from the App Store? Was it someone who saw an ad in or tapped on an ad in another mobile app? And so the technique that they've come up with is um, users cookies, but because apps are kind of sandboxed and a cookie that is set by one app can't necessarily be read by another one, um, the way that these apps were doing it was uh, they'd basically kick a user out to Safari, get Safari to set the cookie somewhere uh, where in Safari's cookie store, um, where it can then be read by other apps. Um, and so basically, if you t tapped on an ad in, you know, that you'd purchased in someone else's app, um, then that would send you to a page in Safari that would set a cookie and then and direct you to the back. app store. And then when you installed your app, the first thing your app would do would be boot you back out to Safari where it would check whether or not that cookie was present. And if that cookie was present, it would then use a um, custom URL scheme to pass a parameter back to your app and relaunch your app with a parameter to tell it. Yep, I've seen a cookie that says that this person saw. It's very clever. Which is a kind of clever way around this of getting that information. Especially from, since that already happens anyways. You, you know, a lot of times you follow a link to the App Store and it goes first to Safari. Right. And yeah. a lot of times that's just because the... Because the, the, the link was a HTTP yeah, goal. They just such, run, such, such, yeah. yeah, instead of iTunes. Or iTunes. But it, so I think what this does is it adds Safari in there again, which is after you've installed the app from the App Store on first launch. Right. It boots you back out to Safari. You see Safari for a split second, and then it launches you back into your app. And that was the reason. So the general user, though, isn't really going to know what's going on. No, and it's a bit of a weird user experience. On first launch of your app, you've just tapped the icon for your app and it launches and it disappears and Safari appears. Yeah, it disappears again and your app comes back. Because we're already sort of accustomed to it, the other way around. When you leave it in an app, you sometimes go to Safari. Yeah. Because we're already accustomed to it, it's you might not it might not bad. be the shock that you would think. Well, so so apparently this is now why Apple rejected those apps. They've said that that user experience on first launch being yeah. booted to Safari is not a good user experience. So those apps were rejected on that basis rather than the particular cookie tracking method. Um, and it, and it, apparently Apple do have uh, a new API available for this sort of thing called a um, advertising identifier. It's, I think the acronym was an IFA. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, 
yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes anyway to Apple's documentation for this, but that it's designed to replace the UDID for these purposes, that it is a persistent identifier that multiple apps can access. But unlike the UDID, it can be controlled by users. So you can reset your advertising identifier at any point that you like uh, to kind of erase all of the tracking history if you want, or you can choose not to disclose it. And I guess it would only be associated with advertising as well. I mean, with, with the unique ID, you could all, you could use it for tracking like yep. in-app clicks, stuff like that, and advertising. So then you can tie that together to get a lot more information. Mm. Whereas I imagine with the new one, it might be a bit more sandbox. Yeah, where I you think can report is. back. Yeah. Um, which is which is good, I think. So I think so. That's available in six point one. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it was originally well, intended for six point zero, but there was a bug with it. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah. So it has. Uh, so I've, I've just googled it. Uh, uh, so yeah, that the the results that I'm getting back is that you can uh, reset your advertising identifier uh, in six point one. Okay. But that doesn't actually that doesn't actually mean that it's not available in six point I don't know. It would take me too long to try and find that. Yeah, we'll, we'll stick some links to the doc- so we'll- the detailed documentation in the show notes. But that was uh, generally the kind of the the story of, of these apps being rejected. And um, I mean, I guess I'd be interested to hear a bit about how, not necessarily looking at the details of these purchasing ads in other mobile apps. You know, I completely can understand the problem, which is if you're wanting to spend some money to get people to know about your app, you really want to know which money is worth spending. Um, have you done that sort of stuff much with your apps? I haven't. I recently, as of yesterday, I ran some Facebook. They have the new mobile app install ads, which actually look pretty nice if you've ever, if you've ever I think used I Facebook to- on your phone. Yeah. They're quite nice ads. Yeah. So I thought I'd run some. They just kind of sit in your timeline. Yeah. But they're clearly not a post from one of your friends or anything. They kind of. I wouldn't say they're clearly not. There's a little thing that says sponsored. So they they have slightly different, like they kind of got bigger margins around them or something. I don't don't know. know. They look an awful lot like they do look different. They do look at least slightly different. But but it's actually a really nice process. Um, You. You just click the install button on the ad and it takes, and it takes straight, straight to the, the app store. store. Quite nice. So I did experiment with running some of those and I got some good, uh, I got some good click through Suggested rates. app? Yes. Has a gray, a gray bar at the top uh, that says suggested app. And it has the app as like in the same way that you would normally see the, like your friend's name with the icon and then a giant picture. And underneath it has another gray bar that says install now. Excellent. So, I mean, that the thing that's awesome about that is that Facebook can be really targeted, can't you? So, the ads you buy, you can particular, pick a particular demographic of the sort of user. Yeah, you can make sure that the ad is appearing in front of the people most likely to enjoy using your app. Yes. Um, rather than be it's irrelevant. Highly targeted. Extremely targeted. It just is, it just means that you have to be really nice. really prepared with who like who your app is targeted at. Yeah, so you need to have thought about it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a, I think a really good exercise. Like if you're building an app, 
um, even advertising aside, you know, you need to have a clear idea in your mind as to who's going to use it. Um, well, say, for instance, you have an app that's like a contraction timer. You know exactly who your market is. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Facebook happens to know when people are pregnant, which is nice. So I, I had some very targeted uh, advertising going on, and I had really good click-through rates. I think I had about a 2%. Right. Like 2.0%. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, that's better than some of the ads that I've I've ever run on Facebook. I've got to be. I think honest. it's usually about point one percent or something. Wow, like that's that. awesome. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no tracking. There's, there's no way to know if those people ended up installing the app or not. Yeah. So basically, you can find out how many people clicked on the ad, but then you don't get any analytics from the app store. None as to the people that did in like you, the iTunes Connect reports are sort of a bit out of date as well. Don't you? you get them like a day or so after they were actually installed, so you could get the number of installs that happened during the period. You that just kind of see if maybe they went up a little bit, and yeah. maybe they went up because of a different reason. But yeah, it's a bit of a black hole. Yeah, um, and my understanding is that. The um, Google Play Store is completely different from that in that they actually have mechanisms for figuring out who, where people were referred from. Um, they ended up installing apps. Yes, and then um, you also get their home address, I believe. All right. Yeah. Yeah, there's okay. some pretty crazy stuff. So, I was about through. to say maybe Google are a little bit more open to the idea that advertising isn't, by definition, evil. Um, but I Ooh. guess it's a blurry line, right? There's, I mean- to me, I'm not I, not a huge fan of advertising, but I do understand, you know, if you can have a situation where you're developing apps or products uh, that you're really passionate about and you just want to get people that who would enjoy using them to know about them. You know, that's kind of the kind of most tame version, I guess, and I think that that's, you know, a really valid thing. And then there's a continuum, obviously, where people are doing really all sorts of dodgy stuff with uh, advertising and and that's the problem with advertising is that there's so much dodgy stuff. There is actually quite a lot of people doing dodgy stuff with advertising. Yeah. Uh, hey, speaking of um, very targeted ads, I'm tempted to explore this whole Facebook thing. I saw a um, really I can't I can't remember where it was now. I'll have to try and dig it out so that I can put a link in the show notes. But uh, a guy who used Google AdWords to try and land a job, uh, he partic- he picked particular advertising agencies. I think that he wanted to work at, um, and he bought Google AdWords for the uh, names of the directors of those agencies. So, if they were Googling for themselves, the top hit would be a, um, a an ad for this guy saying, this is why I should work for you. That was a good one. Did it work? Yeah, it did. Apparently, he got interviews with like a bunch of them and offers from three of them and landed a job and picked one of them to work for. So, so And cost him like 10 bucks or something in- so I think I think the the moral of that story is that uh, people that people like like you know the, those high profile uh, business people are very uh, narcissistic, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> they spend all day every day just typing <laughs> their name into they Google just, to they see just what Google comes themselves up. all the time. Yeah, yeah good, good. I, I know that people buy Facebook ads for that just target employees of Apple. All right. So if you have an app, you can just just advertise it to employees at Apple. And then hopefully someone in the, uh, the the features team will see it, which I think is a great idea. I mean, yeah. you're probably going to be spending dollars to target this many people. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's a freebie for you. Yeah. It's a good idea. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so we had, we had a few uh, suggestions for, for things that we might talk about this week uh, on, on the Twitters. 
in response to a uh, re- or in a response to a request by you, uh, Jake. Yeah, that's right. We do. So um, one of them was um, Jeff Tanang from um, I think I yeah from a developer of Oz TV um, from Apps perhaps. That's a good app. I use that. Oz TV is a great app. Um, yeah, often featured in iTunes. Speaking of featured, maybe he was buying lots of uh, Facebook ads targeting at Apple. Um, he's asked uh, what we think about different server implementation options, different cloud backend providers, things like that. And um, I think it's a fantastic question and a really interesting topic. It's not one I've got a huge amount of experience in, but I have done a little bit using um, – have you guys heard of PaaS? Uh, as in, you know, to parse a data structure, P-A-R-S-E. I've, I know what parse means, but I don't necessarily, uh, I've never necessarily used a library or anything. So I think, um, parse is a, either a platform as a service or a service as a service, depending on which acronym you want to use, uh, where they offer to be the whole backend for your mobile app. Okay. Um, One of those, yep. Yeah. And the way it works is actually really interesting is, um, you download the parse SDK and it's pretty easy to incorporate into your app. I wonder if they've got a CocoaPods pod spec for it. I haven't looked at it recently. Um, and once you've got the PARS SDK, um, you can just post data to their server. So you can basically send dictionaries, key value pairs, um, and then ask for it back later. Uh, and that's kind of it, right? So you don't need to do any upfront backend development work or like create a schema for your data structures and write services to expose those data structures. Um, it basically creates the services and the structures on the fly as you post stuff to it. Okay. Um, so it can be really kind of easy backend to get started with. Um, I actually used it in the Swipe app for last year's Swipe conference where it, um, if you guys attended, I, there was a, uh, a door prize at our evening event. Uh, and you needed to to launch the app at a particular time, and it would uh, hit the PARS API to see if uh, the app should be in raffle ticket mode. And if it was, uh, then it would generate a raffle ticket uh, for each user of the app, and they'd get a color, a letter, a number, and a unique identifier that was really weird and obscure and long, um, and it would persist that to PARS and display it in the app, um, and then we could I wrote a little iPad app to um, get all of the results of all of the tickets out of bars and just randomly pick uh, three winners to give away the door prizes. That's really cool. Yeah, it was a good. It was, it was a win, so it wasn't that cool. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> I didn't game the system at all. It was really actually random. Um, but yeah, it was a good opportunity to play to try with that that sort of service. And I think since then, there's been a proliferation of different of these sorts of platforms. Um, I think Heroku have actually got one now as well where you can upload a core data model to Heroku and it will create the back end for you. Oh, nice. Um, to persist all of that. And and then, yeah, use, um, I think it's NS incremental store subclass in your app so that it, it kind of seamlessly, without changing any of your app's code, Instead of persisting your data just to your app's internal core data store, it'll persist it to Heroku's backend. So it's kind of like iCloud that it, but it works. Right, that's the idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that it's transparent 
to you if you're using this NS incremental store subclass that it's transparent to your app's calling code that your app thinks that it's just dealing with a core data store. Yep. Um, and it's the, that core data store is kind of backed by um, some services on Heroku. Actually, that's really that's really interesting to know because I've had a lot of trouble with with progressions because uh, I mean I've I've got a f- I've got a few different. Uh, services i guess that i use with with progressions uh all of which i've you know i've put together myself at least for the most part um in the most recent update that i did and when i say recent i think i think i released it like this time last year so it's been a while uh i put out uh i put out uh, support for core data uh or rather for for core data syncing with icloud and have immediately, re- like, immediately regretted that because it has caused so many issues with, with the app, uh, that I've been trying to get around. And, uh, one of the things that I've, I've done, uh, since then and will be released in when I release the next version of the app, uh, is removing core data support completely. Uh, so when you launch the app, it'll turn core data off and forget that it ever existed. Um, and because oh, it was it was a pain, uh, it was a complete pain, and I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think I've I've heard of a number of stories of horror stories where you know people have had problems with core data. Yeah, I've certainly heard it. Heaps of people have difficulty with core data synced to iCloud. Yeah, yeah. So this this specifically like core data itself is really good. Like it, I mean, it has it has its purpose, and for that purpose, it really works really well. Um, but when you try to sync that with iCloud, mm. then it has a huge amount of problems. Um, so one of the things that, yeah, so one of the things that I was planning on doing was kind of expe- exploring uh, the options more and the Heroku thing. If that's if that works with Core Data, might, yeah, might be, be a solution. Look, and I haven't really looked at it in any detail. I just saw a couple. There's a good video. They've actually got a sort of um, five or ten minute uh, screencast that walks you through the process of creating a. An app that's backed by um, Heroku. Right. It looks it looks incredibly straightforward. Um, the other one that really surprised me, I actually heard about on another podcast. Um, do you guys listen to Core Intuition? I do. You probably heard about it as well. Then it was one of their advertisers of a recent episode of Core Intuition. We're yes. mentioning them here without even without taking any without having any money. Um, Microsoft. Oh, Surprise be no end. But Microsoft have a cloud service called Azure, Windows yep. Azure, um, and they've got specific iOS stuff for it. So there's an iOS SDK for Azure. And um, look, I, I actually sort of trust the opinion of the guys on uh, Core Intuition and um sounded like they'd spent a bit of time trying it out and it was a really interesting contender for a back-end service. Indeed. Um, so it's kind of on my list. And as I was mentioning before, it's nice to have little apps here and there where you can do a new app and use it as an opportunity to try out a new technology. So that's kind of, that's kind of sitting on my list of uh, backend services I'm keen to try out um, if the yeah if I ever get an opportunity to. Well, one of the things uh, moving on from like syncing that sort of data, uh, one of the things that I have done with progressions is I set up. Uh, few few versions back i set up a, a, a sharing uh api um 
so uh, progressions is all about all about uh, chord charts for for playing music and uh, a lot of the time it's uh, very like you want to be sharing that same chart with you know other members of your band uh, and that sort of thing and so what I because I'm I was I've been too lazy to improve the ability of you know importing uh, putting charts directly into progressions I've been uh, adding all these ver- ways of getting around the direct input, and one of them was sharing uh, sharing uh, that your data with somebody else, and specifically one particular chart. Um, so what what I did was I built on my own server that I have because I do a lot of web stuff as well. Uh, I set up a a very simple API that all it has is I think two methods. One of them is to uh, one of them is to push the chart to the server and one of them is to fetch the chart from the server so what it does is uh on the back end when you open up your little share uh the the little share view uh in the app it will uh it generates a link for for that particular um chart and so what it does is it tries to fetch the chart tries to see if there's a chart already existing uh because what happens is when you actually do when it actually does push the chart it stores an identifier in the in the chart uh, so that you it knows that it's there and then basically all it does is it pulls uh it pushes the chart all of the data from the chart directly to the api and then uh that link then can be used online to pull it pull it back down to the pull it back down to the uh, to the app yeah, cool. or view it on on, on the web hmm. um, so it meant that you could I could sh- you could now share charts by you know Twitter by sending a text message by shooting an email to somebody uh, without having to send a file hmm. which kind of you know makes me feel like it's kind of very w- in Apple's wheelhouse where they you know they very much like not dealing with files where you possibly can yeah I actually like that idea as well if using a back-end service be it one you've written yourself or a cloud so solution so I mean I, I had to write that all myself because it wasn't really I mean part, partly because I, I like to write everything myself I'm that just actually that kind of guy uh, where, where possible I, I kind of share that enjoyment of writing code but I really really hate doing any admin stuff I hate the the sense of dread I get for the idea that there's infrastructure running on the web for which I'm responsible and <laughs> what if it fails so I'm I've been a huge adopter of these cloud systems like the other one i've actually used with ios is um amazon's uh web services so aws um i've used s3 and i've used their simple email service for sending transactional emails from apps um they've got some pretty cool ios um apis as well so they provide ios frameworks for interacting with all of their um it's not particularly modular it's this one massive aws amazon web services library that has code to interact with every single one of their services that you might ever want to, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a pain. Um, but it's really nice. Like I had for a client app, they wanted um, the user would fill out a form within the app and the um, submit an inquiry, um, and they just wanted to receive that as an email. Um, and so rather than actually use a mail compose sheet um, to sort of take that, I'd, yeah, just used Amazon's simple email service, which is a little web service uses their client library, um, takes the contents of the form and sends it to Amazon's email sending service, and then it just sends it to um, the client's inbox. I think that service has something like uh, you can do 10,000 emails a week, a month, a day, something 
within the free tier. Um, and so if you're actually just using it to send a handful of emails to, you know, back to yourself from apps, um, you know, it's a good way of doing it. Except the free tier only lasts for a year. Right, and then, and then, and then it's like one cent per 10,000 emails yeah. or something. Yeah, so... Oh, okay, maybe yeah. it's not one cent per 10,000. Because I yeah because I'm I'm uh, nearing the end possibly have already reached the end of my free free tier time, uh, which is where because I use it for hosting all of my oh like S three all of my stuff yeah. so uh or most of my stuff my my actual web service is sitting on Media Temple so that's that's when I do when you do stuff with the API that's uh that's where that's sitting but okay. things like uh, if you're listening to this podcast right now you downloaded it from S three. Um, which is pretty much what I use it for. Any of the images on the website, uh, all the JavaScript or the CSS on my site is all served from there. Yeah. Because uh, I spent a lot of time working on that. But that's not really what this is about. This isn't this isn't web couch. This is mobile couch. So I won't go into that too much. Yeah, but I mean these days most it's hard. You'd hard be hard pressed to find a mobile app that didn't interact with something on the web. No, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk about how I built my website, though. Right. Yeah, Although I'm, I'm very, very proud of that. So, 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 you know, and so I should be. And what about you, Caleb? What sort of backend stuff have you looked at? Yeah, so I, I don't really know anything about backend kind of stuff. I've never done any sort of web development. So the extent of my backend, at least in one of my apps, is uh little thing, a little class by Matt again, M-A-T-T-T-T. Yep. Called Ground Control, which okay. all it does is you can you can give it the URL of a plist that you store on a server. I've got mine on S3. And it will update your NS user defaults with the result of that plist. Oh, nice. Which is all I really need it for. Um, it's really good for things just like you know, some flags for turning features on and off. If you, if you need to slip something by Apple, you know, right. you can always <laughs> turn something off while it's in review. And nice. Turn it on later. Very sneaky. That's one option you can do with it. I don't condone that, but you could do that. We we at Mobile Couch do not condone trying to slip things past Apple. Uh, but, but it's also good for um, just... Um, if you need to send an error message to your user saying my app's broken, you know, I'm, w- I'm working on an update. Sorry about that. You could have a flag for that set up there. And then you could do things like, uh, cause you know how they have all those rating, uh, the, the rate. Actually, this was something that they talked about. I think somebody talked about at, uh, the one more thing conference last year where, uh, you know, you know those pop-ups, the modals that uh, basically every app has one now, um, where, where it says, oh, rate me, you know, and you have, you have all the options for what you want to do and it requests that you rate. Uh, so one, one person was suggesting that you should be able to turn that off remotely because yeah. if somebody, yeah, if you have, uh, if you have a bug in your app that you know is a known issue and then yeah, suddenly yeah. somebody pops up, it pops up with a thing saying rate me, yeah. then you're going to be like, then they're going to be like one star. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one, one of the things that they suggested was being able to turn turn that off remotely. And so, that sounds like something that you could use it for that's actually legit. Actually, and there was also a WWDC session uh, a few years back, because I think it was one I was at in person, uh, about this idea of remotely controlling and configuring apps. And I think it was someone that works on Apple's apps, um, iTunes, sorry, the retail store app. 
Uh, okay. Yep. The retail store iPhone app. Um, and I think they talked about even to the extent of, um, the structure of the app, like how many tabs appear in the tab bar and what the content of each of those tabs is and the, which detail view you go to when you select something. It was all configured on the back end and, uh, on launch, the app would get settings, download settings and, um, including things like the controls from, you know, the flow of control within the app from one view controller to the next was kind of configured. Um, it's a really interesting idea. Yeah. Well, I, I know I, a mate of mine is actually working on an app, uh, and I don't know really very much about it except for the fact that uh, it's like the content is something that he's going to need to update fairly mm-hmm. regularly, uh, and he was just going to build that to the to the device. Uh, like to, to the to the app and release a new update when when the, the content changed. But something like this, where you can download a plist file and just basically set your user defaults, actually is very useful for that as well. If you've got content that needs to change, hmm. uh, like if you're and in this, in particular, this is like a, a listing of um, different types of uh, products that you can use for when you go like for bikes, uh, push bikes. Um, I'll probably get in trouble for calling it that. Um, and yeah, so it has all these, di- these different different things and you know Im- images and stuff for, for each of those things. Uh, but the content, because the content changes, if you know s- some product comes off the market or something, uh, he needs to be able to change it. And mm. that was going to take that was going that's going to require like you know building the building the app, submitting it to Apple, waiting for it to go through uh, through review, which at the moment is taking about, apparently about six days or so. Uh, which is still a long time to wait for, you know, updated content. But mm. by pushing a P list directly to the device just from a server somewhere, and it's not that's not resource intensive. Like if you've got an, a website for your app, then all you need to do is make sure that that's available in yeah, some, exactly. somewhere with your website. I think it's worth keeping in mind these sort of lightweight ways of having some dynamic dynamism on the back end. You know, you don't necessarily need a full kind of dynamic server running a custom app. Uh, in order to get different content and settings to your mobile app. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend this one. It's very simple. URL, just store your file on S3. Yeah, it cool. fails silently. So if they can't connect, it's, it's all good. Yeah. I, I noticed this week, did, did you notice a lot of people are starting to um, detect cracks for their apps and then changing the content based on whether or not your app has been cracked? Yeah, look, I've heard, heard people talking a bit about it. Um, I haven't really paid much attention to it myself. Yeah, there's been two or three high-profile cases. You know, Tweetbot is one. Okay. Um, but so if what, you're doing Tweetbot, that... Tweetbot it, provides a custom experience if, to people that yes. are running a cracked version? Yes. But if you're doing that, I highly recommend you're also... You have a way to turn that off remotely because if you start turning up false positives... Oh, that, right, yeah. 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 You're going to want to flick that off yep. immediately. So maybe a. a it's actually. I, I think this is a really interesting idea, and the idea of having settings that determine the behaviour of your app generally, I think, is something I've gotten into a little bit more of late. So one of the apps I'm working on at the moment for a client, um, we're in a kind of early prototyping test phase where we're making sort of the, the high level decisions about the app's UI, like will it be horizontally scrolling or vertically scrolling, or will it be, um, you know, sort of questions like that. Will, will there be three? sort of um, different views within a hierarchy or will you go straight from one to the third one and skip the middle level. Um, and so what I've been doing is I've actually just written the code to look at the user defaults and just say um, if if it's set one way, do it this way. If it's set another way, do it the other. 
and then um, expose them through the settings bundle. So on the device, the um, testers can go into the settings app and change a few settings. So you're not creating a new build to try different. No, exactly. So I post a build and it's got three or four options for the things that we're trying to decide about. And then they can test, you know, uh, configure it one way, test it with some users, uh, configure it another way just by changing some settings, test it with users. Um, And I heard, uh, I think Troy Brandt from Flipboard gave a talk at last year's Swipe conference about developing the iPhone app for Flipboard. And apparently they did that same thing where even really until really late on in the project, they had like m- the major, you know, um, way of of navigating through the app. They had a couple of different alternatives for it. Even the had, flip itself? Yeah, wasn't the flip it? itself. They had different, op- you know, that wasn't yeah. settled until late in the piece. Um, and so they had a setting that you could just change to try it in different ways. Um, I quite like that idea of even leaving it in there in the shipping app and being able to change it on the server side later if you need to change certain things around. Cool. So that, I mean, there are a range of different, I guess, backends we've looked at, um, had a little bit of experience with. If anyone listening has specific experience with any of the ones we've discussed or others that we haven't, I'd love to hear from you about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, well uh, just, just before we, before we end up, when we finish up, because we're, we're getting close to time now. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for, uh, for the great, uh, responses that you guys have have given us on uh like to the, to the show we're i'm i'm really uh kind of it makes me very proud to to see mobile couch out there uh you know the other day i saw i saw it on like the the little graphic on the on the uh what is it po- pocket casts uh pocket cast for android yeah, yeah for, for android so we're gonna apparently we're gonna start talking about android now <laughs> well you know maybe uh, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I've seen I've seen people talking about mobile couch, and uh, that that really excites me. And I'm well, like, we're all very we're all very proud that we're you know that to be able to uh, to, to helping you guys out with uh, with your projects. So uh, you know, guys, send, send in uh, any kind of questions that you have or feedback that you have for us. We're we're more than willing to take it on and uh, and uh, and answer any questions or respond to anything that you guys come with come at us with. Yeah. The other guys are nodding. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely second that. It's really nice to know that we're not just talking to ourselves in an empty room. Um, and look, it would be even nicer to know that um, that we're talking about stuff that's of interest. So if if we are, um, thanks for letting us know. And uh, if we haven't discussed anything that interests you, please also let us know that. Let us know what we could talk about. That um, yeah, if you have any suggestions, if you have any suggestions, just come. Uh, just you can you can get in contact with us. And in fact, we're about to list out the ways that you can get in contact with us. So if you'd like to read today's uh, today's show notes, which we will we will set up for you, you can do that. They are at mobilecouch.co forward slash three. That sounds right. This is episode three. This is episode three. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us via email, uh, you can do that. There is a contact form on the website that is at mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. Uh, you can also get in touch with us individually on Twitter. Would you like to provide uh, your Twitter? I am J McMullen, J M A C M U W L I N. And you're also that on app.net. Yeah. I am that on app.net. Uh, are, are we going to do this every time? Because when I set up my Twitter handle, I. Never expected to say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> he is Thurston. <laughs> Just look in the show notes. T H R S N both on app.net and Twitter. And I am Jellybean Soup on Twitter and Jelly on app.net. 
Oh, you shortened yourself. I shortened myself on there. There you go. Uh, you can also find the Mobile Couch Twitter account. It's underscore uh, Mobile Couch or just Mobile Couch on app.net. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, please stay tuned. We will be back in a couple of weeks with, with more uh, stuff from the Mobile Couch.